A breakaway religion in Uganda goes bananas. And what exactly was going on in that compound in New Mexico today on Dead Rabbit Radio? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. I watched that video. I watched the video entitled, I actually named it wrong in my, I left out a keyword when on my last episode. The video is Surrender to the Dark Demon Gay Lust Inside You. So that is the video. It was possibly the ring video of uh, gayness that if you watched it, the, the video purports itself that if you watch it, Satan comes into your life and makes you gay. I did finally watch it. I actually just got done watching it. It's, it's weird. It starts off with just a bunch of photos of dicks. And then it starts showing all this satanic imagery. There's always constantly like this pentagram on screen. But then it starts showing like these like demons like banging dudes. They show a guy banging a ghost. It's all just like drawings after a certain point. And then it's just and then it goes to footage of people rubbing their dicks together and having sex. And I'm like, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, I guess. And the whole time it's like Satan, you by watching this, Satan is in your house. Satan wants you to have gay sex, have gay. <laughs> and it's like 12 minutes long. It's 12 minutes long. And then you and then once the so first off, you have the images and then you have the the satanic voice the whole time. But once the live footage comes up, you also have this <laughs> just the sounds of sex. You know, and there are certain, like, sometimes, like, when you see a photo, when I was prepping the story for penis worship, I was, again, coming across all these photos of, like, yeah, suck my cock for Satan. I'm looking at the photo, and I go, I can tell that person smells. Like, the photo itself smells. That's what these sex videos, I was like, ugh. Like, I could smell it. The one takeaway, I'm not gay from watching that video, the one takeaway I, I do have is I feel inadequate. I feel like my dick is smaller. And that's part of the problem I have with pornography in general. Not that I have a small dick. But <laughs> that when you watch it, it's completely unrealistic. You know, when you w go watch Star Wars and then you get in your Subaru, you're like, you can pretend it's an X-Wing, but you know everyone else is driving a car. Porn is the opposite of that. Porn is making you think that everyone has a giant dick. Everyone's flying an X-Wing and you're driving your Subaru. It's all camera tricks, it's all lighting, it's all angles and stuff like that. For every one guy who has a massive, like, 9-10 inch dick, everyone else doesn't. But through the angles and everything like that, you, they can make big women, you know, make big fat women look skinny. They can make guys with not very impressive dicks look huge. It's all camera tricks. So... That's another reason why I think people should stay away from it, because it makes you feel inadequate. At 12 minutes watching that, I'm like, those are all huge. Is my mind saying those are all like eight feet long? But in reality, I understand the way the angles and the lighting and the photography works and everything like that. You can take a picture of your own dick and make it look huge. I am not, I'm not saying I have any experience in that personally, but we'll go ahead and leave it there. So, yes, um, if you have 12 minutes to kill and you really want to... See if Satan will come in your life and turn you gay. You could watch it. I, I mean, again, it was just boring. It's not really my cup of tea. But um, I did watch it. And, you know, maybe it's addictive. Oh, another thing. So Joseph, the guy who was in the last episode, 
um, who was commenting on this penis worship video. He's like, yes, I've introduced my wife to Satanism now, and I love Dick more than her, but we both know Christianity sucks. I'm starting to think, okay, so I was like, I wonder what else he's up to. So I kind of looked around on him on Pornhub, and he gives his home phone number and photos of himself, like, face visible, playing with his dick. So I'm thinking this guy's either, like, you know, kind of messed up, or someone's posting his information out there, but his (laughs) he lists his turn-ons as... Having sex with strainers. He goes, interest in hobbies. I love to have sex with strainers. Now, with porn, you really have to spell check stuff. Because I'm assuming he meant strangers. I love to have sex with strangers. But when you when you were talking about sex, and there's so many fetishes. For all I know, he just like get jacks off in colanders all day long or like he's like oh dude look at those coffee filters strain this <laughs> i don't know man you gotta be more specific in pornography because there could be a fetish of people who like to have sex with strainers things that strain things and it's not okay <laughs> i just don't know anymore i don't know anymore but anyways i have his home phone number he posted it on the website, so who knows? Maybe I'll give him a call or text him and try not to get murdered and find out exactly who he's trying to have sex with and if he's still watching this Surrender to the Dark Demon Gay Lust Inside You video. Now, we're done with that story for now. I don't. I, <laughs> I feel sorry for people. If this is your first episode, I apologize. I normally don't do a five-minute recap of the last one, but we just had so much stuff left over. Let's go ahead and get started with this episode. So, first... (laughs) Okay. Oh, the penis worship. That was a fun one. Okay, so... This one's interesting, too, because it's one of those things that... I think we've, you kind of take for granted, I personally take for granted sometimes that I know a lot about a particular subject. I never think that I know everything about it, but I always figure I know about like the big events. So, and it's like, you're like school shootings, like you know about Columbine and you know about Newtown and you know about the Virginia Tech, like the big ones. And then you come across the one story that we did with the uh, 2006 shooting where the guy like held the girls hostage in the school and raped them. I'm like, how did I not know of this story? Like, it seems like something that should be totally out there. That's how I feel about this next story as well. It's about a cult back in the 80s and 90s. It was in Uganda. So you could be like, okay, that's kind of excusable. You don't live there. It makes sense that you don't really know about this cult. But again, when I was reading about it, I kept going like, how how have I never heard of this before? They're a group called, or was called, spoiler alert, The Movement for the Restoration of the Ten Commandments of God. It was this, basically, it was a breakaway from the Roman Catholics. So at the time, there were these three different people. They were having visions of Virgin Mary and God coming to them and saying, you know, you need to restore my word. You need to restore my faith in your people. They were having, in Uganda, they're having lots of trouble with tribal warfare, strife. AIDS was a big issue, and you were having all these scandals with the Catholic Church. So people were looking for something else, some way to continue their faith, and yet 
be separate from it. It's an interesting note, too. Scientologists, there's a lot of breakaways to Scientology. There are people who leave the church and are like, it's complete nonsense. And then there are people who say, oh, no, 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 we believe in everything Scientology has to offer. We just don't believe you should pay for it. So they believe in the materials, but they don't believe in the power structure of the church. So they're trying to take the materials and start their own church. It's kind of interesting how you always have these different breakaways. Anyway, so this group, uh, we'll call it the Restoration from here on out because it's such a long name. We'll call it the Restoration. So anyways, so this group starts to form. And one of the guys who forms it, um, his, not, his name was Credonia. And he actually, the reason why... I he kind of popped in my head was that he brewed something called banana beer. And I was like, I never heard of that. So I had to Google that banana beer, what it sounds like. And then there's something called banana wine too. You can really make alcohol out of anything, I guess is the moral of that story. But anyway, so Credonia, he, you know, brewed banana beer. There was two other people. There was a Joseph, um, can't pronounce his last name. And then B Tate. So these three people, we're all having these visions and they're like, we need to create this restoration. We need to bring our people back under the Ten Commandments. So like cults do, they tend to start off very small with a couple of charismatic individuals. And these people begin going preaching this message that we are going back to the core root, the uncorrupted version of God's message, which is the Ten Commandments. These are the ten rules that God gave Moses. They're ready to go. Like, there's, there's no, not really much room for interpretation in them. We're going to do this. And people started following it because people are always looking to fill that void inside of them. And if people are already really discouraged by the Catholic Church and there's this other group saying, well, we're like the Catholic Church. We believe in a lot of the stuff, but we're going back to the grassroots. We're going back to the, the uh, you know, original stuff. And people were like, well, these people are brewing banana beer and i know them from my neighborhood and these people are have all these scandals and they're based in rome and stuff like that so they started getting a, a very very good following their thing was that you had to follow the commandments to the point that just at certain points talking was discouraged because the ninth commandment thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor and it said on some days communication was only conducted in sign language People fasted. They had special days where you could only eat one meal. See, and I think at a certain point, these these three people, they may have originally thought, hey, we're actually getting this communication from God. But then you start to see the tactics that cults use to control people. So first, they could have a genuine, like, we need to help people. But then restricting diet, restricting communication, restricting travel, restricting thought. Those are all signs of a cult like like a bad cult like you can go you can go to a catholic church and they say well you can only eat fish on friday that's a lot different than saying you can only eat one meal a day when you control what people are eating when you're controlling like limiting what they're eating i guess you should say it helps break people down so you can build them back up so of course this cult the restoration starts gathering people from all over uganda they're all moving out to a communal place which again it gets a little risky if you know your cult history. They were taught to to read this text, text, and it was apocalyptic text. And the text was saying, on December 31st, 1999, the world was going to end. So you come out to our banana farm, 
you hang out, you sell all your stuff, donate all your money to the church. Again, these are all warning signs that people outside of cults see. But when you're in the cult, you you're like, man, no, this all the all the things I've ever worried about have been answered. Like all the questions I've ever have have been answered. So I don't need my worldly money anymore, and I don't need to eat all day on Friday or whatever. I don't need to talk without using sign language every other Tuesday. So it's it's that's how the cult kind of preys on them. And so this goes on and on. Now the thing is, is like a lot of times, fear is a main motivator. Fear and despair are main motivators of joining cults. Like you're sad, you don't have any friends, cult gets you, or you're fearful of the future. So if the future is clear, you don't have to be afraid anymore. If you can say for certain that the world is going to end on February 14th, I don't know why I picked that. That's Valentine's Day, right? I hope that was just kind of a, whoa, that's kind of creepy. If you say the world's going to end on December 31st, then you don't have anything to fear. You don't have to fear about getting old or getting cancer or watching your kids die or anything like that because the world's going to end. So you take away that fear. But of course, we know as rational people, as all of the family members of these people who got involved in this cult and they're still, the family members are talking to their priests and their government officials saying, hey, you know, my cousin went to this banana farm and he's, talking about the end of the world and stuff like that, they know that this is all fake, but the people in the cult don't. Of course, they will when December 31st passes and nothing happens. And of course, that's what happened. So December 31st, 1999 rolls around, nothing happens. Now, of course, people have donated tons of money, people have sold land, people have given deeds over to this church, and it's really run by these three people. The Credona, the Joseph, and the B. There's, I believe, two other people that are kind of involved in it at, on the after end, but it was mainly those three. No, there was five leaders. Yeah, by the end, there was five different leaders. So you had, they had some additional leaders. I believe they were like defrocked priests because you started getting actual like priests and nuns leaving the Catholic Church to join this thing. It got quite big. Um, about 5,000 people in 1997. But anyway, so they're taking in all this money. They got all these people. They're getting land. People are like, yay, we know. Why do I need money? We'll just give it to this church because the world's going to end. Well, 1999 comes and goes. And people go, whoa, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Like, I thought the world was supposed to end yesterday. And the leaders are like, like, you know, what do you do in that situation? Well, you set another date. And that's generally what you see. You see with Harold Camping, they go, there two things happened. They, with 2012, the people who made all their money saying 2012 was the end of the world, they said, oh, no, 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 no. I never said it was the end of the world. I said it was the start of the end of the world. Just the start. Give it another seven years. That's a common trick. The other trick is to go, oh, I must have got my math wrong. I must have gotten the vision wrong. The date is actually further out. Now, the thing is, is they can't put the date too far out. Because then you lose followers, and then you're going to have this huge lull until you get close. It's always just a couple months out. If you said the world's going to end 100 years, nobody cares. If you said the world's going to end at the end of the year, people who are fear fearful are going to care. And then the year end of the year comes, and you just can't say, oh, no, it's going to be 10 years from now. You have to just move it ahead. So these guys had a plan. They go, okay, we got caught. Either we were scamming them on purpose, or our visions were wrong. But we have to do something. So they said... We have a new vision. On March 17th, 
2000, so only three months later, the world will end. The world will end, and you know what? We're going to have a party to celebrate it. So they invited all of these people. 530 people showed up to... The, the reason why I know the exact number should tell you what's going to happen. They all show up to this huge party in, in Kanugu. Kanugu. They roasted three bowls and drank 70 crates of soft drinks. Big party. Now, it's not a Jonestown party. Now, see, this was one thing about the cult. They never talked about mass suicide. It was never this whole, like, the world's going to end and we're all going to drink the Kool-Aid or we're going to have this ritual suicide or anything like that. That was never spoke about. So the authorities never worried about it. There was, there was complaints about people, like, kids getting kidnapped and stuff like that. But that's generally, like, wife joins the cult, husband doesn't, wife takes the kid. They have a big party. They all go into this giant building, 530 people. And people in the next town over are just kind of minding their own business, not really thinking about it. Oh, those cult people, they're having that big party. All of a sudden, massive explosion. All 530 people in the building, dead. Burned alive. Investigators, when they finally get their fire crews and stuff like that, the windows are boarded up, the doors are shuttered. 530 people, including dozens of children, burned alive, blown to pieces. And the leadership of the church was in there. So they're like, they're dead. And then the investigators were like, well, it must have been mass suicide. There must have been, again, we didn't know it, but it was some cult. They went out and they started investigating the properties of the leaders. They go to the first property. They find six bodies dumped in like the toilet. And they're like, well, okay, that's weird. That doesn't seem like a ritual suicide. They go to another compound, 153 bodies. They go to another compound, 155 bodies, where they had been stabbed and poisoned. They go to another compound, 81 bodies. They said a total of 924 people died or were discovered dead within that week. Definitely 530 people died. The rest of them, they figured they died a short time before. And they it wasn't a ritual suicide. The leaders murdered them. And now... Authorities believe that at least two of the leaders, Credonia and Joseph, weren't in the building. There's actually active searches for them. They have international warrants for them. They believe the leaders, those two guys who founded the church, blew everybody up because they wanted their money and they were complaining that the world hadn't ended. And then first off murdered a bunch of people that weekend and left their bodies at different compounds and then went to the big compound, invited everyone in there, sealed the door shut, and blew the place to pieces, burned everyone alive. Brutal stuff. That's a huge body count for a cult, and that's why I was surprised I never heard of it. I mean, it's nearly a thousand people in a weekend, and it's not suicide. It was These guys murdered these people. Okay, so we're going to move on to our next story here. This is a story that I've kind of been hesitant to cover for a couple reasons, but I, th I feel like it's time to cover it because we've gotten enough information on it. So, and I really kind of want to cover just certain elements of it, but I'm not going to sugarcoat it. So what's going on in New Mexico right now or this year was there was a cult. And that's the best way to put it. Again, it's like a breakaway cult like the Restoration. They, there was this guy, his name, and I'm going to again have trouble with everyone's names. Uh, Siraj Rahaj. Sarah, Siraj Rahaj. We'll call him Rahaj. 
he kidnaps his son, his three-year-old son from Georgia, from the mother of the child, and him, his current wife, his two sisters, and 11 other kids all beat feet to New Mexico, where he builds a compound in the middle of the desert, and he believes, he has a, quite a few wacky beliefs, and this is why I'm people can, people are like, oh, you know, it's all about anti-Muslim stuff like that. No, these guys are as fringe as the Westboro Baptist Church or, or the Restoration or any sort of breakaway religion. Because what Rahaj believed was that his three-year-old son, who was severely physically disabled, was possessed by demons, and by exercising the demons from the child, he could save him. But what happened was the child died. The three-year-old little boy died. And Rahaj's answer was, oh, but he's going to, Jesus, now that he's dead, Jesus can use his body to resurrect himself, and then he'll come to us as militant Jesus. And he will teach me and my sisters and my mom and these 11 other kids we have who we should kill in the upcoming war. Now, none of that is mainstream Islam. That is all complete. That Those beliefs are just completely as wacky as anything else. Islam does have a more militant version of Jesus uh, who will come back, but not in the form of a three-month-old disabled baby who's exercised. Like, these, this guy automatically, this guy obviously has some mental issues. And the guy, so he picked the kids up and left. He, he was facing a kidnapping charge. The government's been looking for him. And to show that this isn't an issue of prejudice against Islam, the person who turned him in was an imam. He found out through one of his parishioners, that there was this family in New Mexico that had run out of food and they were trying to get food or money from a relative. And that relative went to the imam and said, hey, I know where that guy's at who took that kid. And the imam's like, find out where he's at and I'll call the cops. So this isn't an issue of this Muslim worldwide conspiracy thing. Where it's gotten to be... Weird. I mean, th th that's already weird with the little... the And, you know, people, a lot of times, I feel like the little boy's death is getting overridden. But anyway, so the cops go out there. They go... At first, they're just investigating this missing kid. And then they go there and they find all these children. They're completely malnourished. And the cops are like, oh, great. You know, this is... This sucks, you, you know. And then they start finding out stuff about, like, what? You're training... Your kids are shooting guns, but they don't have enough food to eat? And then they're like, well, okay, okay, you know, we'll, we'll handle the malnourishment thing in a second. Where's the kid we're looking for? Where's the kidnapped kid? And Wahaj was like, I don't know. I don't know where he's at. So now they're very, very suspicious. They hold the adults in custody. I think the, the kids go to foster care. They eventually find the remains of the three-year-old boy. And that's when it comes out about the botched exorcism. They couldn't get the demons out and the baby accidentally died. And so the... Parents, all the adults are being held there. They're going to try to bond out. They were trying to pay, get their bond done. And this is where the story gets ridiculous. So the defense lawyer goes, hey, man, the only reason why we're bugging these people is because they're black Muslims. If these were white Christians who believed in faith healing and things like this, this wouldn't be an issue. America has a Second Amendment. You know, people can shoot guns. People can teach their kids to shoot guns. And and that argument worked. They bonded out. The judge said, she said, I don't think they're a threat to the community. 
I only am looking at the evidence about mistreating the kids. I'm not looking at the evidence of anything else as far as like the shootings go. I don't think they're a threat to the community, and she lets them walk. The The man, Wahaj, was was not able to be let go because he was still being held on a warrant for the Georgia kidnapping. But the women, she's like, I don't see any reason to not let you bail out. Here's the thing. I get that argument to a point that you could say, well, I think that the reason why you're pick, you're just picking on because they're black Muslims, you would let any other group shoot guns and do faith healings and things like that. That's not, that's just on the face not true. Absolutely not true. And we have the perfect example. It's Waco, Texas. We've had multiple, we've had Ruby Ridge. We've had multiple groups that have done less. These people had a kidnapping charge against them. That have done less and had violent raids put against them. So this argument doesn't fly. But the reason why I think it's this is an important story is that most people don't know about it. Most people heard a little bit about the compound in the beginning and then don't really know about the weird details. So these guys, these people are actually mentally ill and they're mentally hurting children and they're, they were planning to shoot up other schools. This should be a trifecta for the media. They should love this stuff. It involves religious insanity. It involves school shooting. It involves guns. But they're just kind of like, eh. And I don't necessarily think it's the Muslim angle because the fact that they're Muslims, I think, is not even really relevant to the story. They could have been any religious group. They could have been absolutely any religious group. The story would have still played out the same, I believe, except for the judge letting them out. Because I don't know what she was thinking. Even the governor of New Mexico was like, I completely disagree with that decision. And luckily, the federal government disagreed. They scooped scoop the uh, women back up and they said nope we're charging we're pressing charges against you so bizarre the whole story's weird it's one of those stories that involve again and i always say paranormal conspiracy and true crime they all kind of meet and this kind of does this i can't understand why the judge didn't consider these people a threat because they're definitely at the very very least the very least, even if you don't buy into the whole conspiracy of the school shooting, trying to train them to be school shooting, you could go, well, you know, prosecutors are just making that up. A child died. A child was kidnapped and died. So my theory is why, my question is, why would the judge go, no, I'm going to let him go. I'm going to let him go. Was race an issue? Was, did she not want to seem racist? Did she not want to seem Islamophobic? Was it something coming down from the government? Did she just have access to different information than is being released in the media? I don't know. But again, this story, like most of the sources on this story are F Mirror, the Daily Mirror, which is a British paper. I had to use Breitbart, which I'm not a huge fan of using Breitbart for my sources because most people brush it off. But I'll use it when that's all I have access to. US Today did an article on it, not on the... It's funny, the U.S. Today article was not so much about the trial itself, but the poor judge who was being threatened. So imagine the story I just told you where we had the family who's kidnapped the kid, the kid dies, the kids are malnourished, they're raising a small army, they're saying all of this wacky stuff. This is the headline for the U.S. And then the judge lets him go. This is the headline for the USA Today article. 
Judge in New Mexico compound case threatened after ordering release of Muslim family. That covers none of the main points. And again, I don't think the fact that they're Muslim is the main point. I think the fact that there is a dead kid who they thought was going to be resurrected and give them a hit list is the issue, regardless of religion. That's the headline of that article. Like, that is obviously in a, it's, I guess, technically a factually correct headline. So I'll say this. I don't think there's necessarily a conspiracy. I don't believe in these huge mega conspiracies as far as, like, they want them to, they want the Middle East to invade Western cultures so they can destroy all us. And it's this concentrated effort to eliminate the white people or eliminate Western culture. I don't believe that. I do believe there's a conspiracy to cover up for this particular group. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know who's doing it. I don't know if it's someone in that town. I don't know if it's someone in that state. But come on, that's a ridiculous headline. That's a ridiculous headline. Somebody's covering up for these people and someone is covering up for this judge because the judge said, you know, I was only ruling on the children being malnourished and he didn't show me proof of that. All the cops did was talk about all the heavy weapons there. So not the fact that the cops didn't detail they had empty cupboards, but that they had massive machine guns and you're not concerned about that. Somebody's covering up for this particular group. I I believe. I believe. Luckily, the federal government stepped in and they took these people. And Georgia's attorney general is making sure the guy's not getting out because they're filing charges against him. But come on, that's ridiculous. You can't say as a judge, oh, you know, I was only seeing if they had food to eat and you were talking about terrorism and you and because I was only looking at one thing and you were talking about another thing, I'm just going to put ankle bracelets on these people who murdered a three-year-old. Weird. Weird stuff. Weird stuff. I think conspiracies, the problem is, is people try to make them bigger than they are. And sometimes they are small things. Sometimes they may be, this group here has connections with this group here in the same area. And it gets to this judge and it gets to the cops or whatever. It doesn't always have to be this grand global George Soros Koch brothers Illuminati webbing. I think the more compelling ones and honestly the more truthful ones are the ones that are happening in a particular town. Because here's the thing. If they hadn't asked for food and that a mom hadn't gotten the phone call and called the cops, this group still would have been operating out in New Mexico. That kid would have just disappeared. Ten years would have went by. They still would have been operating in that area. People knew that they were there, that they had this compound, that they were shooting off heavy weapons. Nobody cared because that's kind of how New Mexico is. But neighbors did notice that that kid was missing. So why wasn't it investigated then when they go, hey, remember that little crippled kid who used to hang out over there? He's gone. People recognized him because he was a three-year-old, severely disabled, and all of a sudden they stopped seeing him. Neighbors thought something was up. How come they didn't do anything about it then? Why did they have to have Georgia coming out and calling investigators to come out there? I don't know. I don't know. But it's an interesting story nonetheless. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. At Jason O'Carpenter is our Twitter account. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.